Welcome to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in their lives. And it's a place where your questions about faith and religion can be answered. And now, here's your host, Deacon Al. Thank you, John, and good evening. It's Deacon Al with Good News. Very happy to be with you tonight. Uh, it is Latare Sunday. We are halfway through our Lenten journey. I hope you're having a wonderful, deep, and meaningful Lent as we work through these 40 days of prayer, fasting, and acts of charity to transform us to a more Christ-like uh, figure as we, uh, as we approach the Feast of the Resurrection of Easter. Lots of things going on in the Catholic Church this month, this week. Uh, really, really interesting stuff. First of all, if you've been out of touch for a while— uh, because of COVID, you need to know that we have a new bishop in the Peoria Diocese, uh, Bishop Louis Tilka. By the way, if you, if you meet him, he likes to be called Bishop Lou. And, and a little tip, if you're praying for him, and please pray for, for our bishop, uh, that's always a, a good thing to include in our prayers, is uh, the health, well-being, and leadership of our bishop, as well as pray for the intentions of our pope. But uh, when you pray for Bishop Lou— he likes to he he's on a more formal term with God than he is with us. He he likes to be referred to in prayer as Bishop Lewis. So that's that's just a little bit of, of trivia about him. I've had a chance to meet him uh, one time when he was sort of the bishop in waiting, uh, while uh, Bishop uh, Daniel Jenke finished his his uh, time with us as bishop. Bishop Jenke, by the way, has officially retired. That's why Bishop Lewis uh, Bishop Lou has been installed. Bishop Jenke's doing great. He's still uh, the, the cheerful, bubbly guy he's always been. And he's now going to be sharing his time between his beloved uh, campus of Notre Dame University in South Bend, Indiana, where he has an apartment overlooking the, uh, the, the center grounds of the university, the quad there. And he just loves his, uh, his Notre Dame uh, family. And he's also built a small, a very small, almost a, a cottage on the river uh, just outside of Henry, Illinois, where he'll be spending the rest of his time. So we wish uh, Bishop Jenke a, a happy and healthy and joyful retirement, and we welcome Bishop Lou to the Peoria Diocese. And one of the things Bishop Lou has already done, and we just got the letter a few days ago, is uh, a welcoming back to Mass uh, from this terrible COVID we've been going through. It's It's hard to believe that we've been We've been putting up with uh, the COVID restrictions for like two years now. My gosh, um, it has changed our lives in so many ways. And because of that change, because of the dangers of the pandemic uh, and because of uh, the care uh, that, the, that the church has for us, uh, they, they took the obligation that we have as Catholics to attend Mass each Sunday and they gave us a dispensation. They don't. They didn't say don't come to mass, but they said if if for health reasons you can't come to mass, that uh, it's no longer uh, considered a grave sin. And they urged us to at least watch mass remotely. Most of our parishes in town offered a spiritual communion as a part of mass to those who were who were live streaming it or watching it as a recording. But now the time has come to, uh, to put those fears aside and to put the dispensation aside 
and to call all Catholics back into the joy and the comfort of the Holy Mass. And so that becomes effective on Palm Sunday, uh, the beginning of Holy Week, and our, hopefully our houses of, of worship will be filled again on Easter. Uh, we are so used to having not only our, our regular uh, church nave uh, filled with parishioners, but setting up hundreds of chairs in our basement and simulcasting down to a big screen on our basement to handle the overflow. Um, we, we routinely, and I think this is probably true of most, most parishes, uh, Easter is our busiest, uh, atten- our, our greatest attendance during the year, and that's because it's, it's our most important feast. Uh, during the week of Easter, we celebrate all the major points of our faith, the institution of the Mass, the creation of communion, uh, the importance of uh, servant leadership in, in the ceremonial washing of the feet, the, uh, the whole history of creation that is uh, renewed and, and we're reminded of uh, at the beginning of, of the Easter Vigil, the, uh, the sadness and the emptiness of the world on Good Friday uh, during the Passion and, and Crucifixion of Christ, and then, of course, the, the immense joy and the coming back to life of the whole world on Easter Sunday with Christ's resurrection. So put it on your calendar, Holy Week. Make it a point to celebrate all the important dates of Holy Week from Palm Sunday through the Triduum of uh, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and of uh, uh, Holy Saturday Vigil Mass, and then again Sunday Easter Mass. Uh, this is the most beautiful time in the Church. It's the, the great pageantry of, of the Church uh, bringing Christ back to life for us in a very real and in a very human way, uh, involving all of our senses, sight, smell, sounds. It's, it's just a time to really immerse yourself into the beauty of the Mass. And so we hope that this Holy Week and with the lifting of the, uh, the dispensation that we will see all our Catholic brothers and sisters return to the beauty and the community of, of the Mass at, at whatever your local parish is, this is a diocesan-wide change, and many of us have been waiting. Some of our, some of our surrounding dioceses lifted the dispensation months ago, and so glad now that our home diocese of Peoria has done this as well, and we are just so excited about seeing our Catholic family gather together in worship again. The other big thing this week, of course, this is Latari Sunday. This is halfway through Lent. And so when you come to Mass or view Mass as, as it's streamed this weekend, you will see the clergy uh, dressed in rose vestments. This is only one of two Masses during the year where we wear rose, the other being halfway through Advent. Uh, so both seasons call for uh, vestments and decorations in the Church to be a dark violet, which represents represents our, our deep penance uh, that, that we are experiencing uh, at, at this time while we await a huge feast. So this is a time of preparation. But we're halfway through, and we're so excited about being halfway there that we lighten the, the color up a little bit, brighten it up a little bit uh, to show our enthusiasm and our joy for the, the approach to the end of the penance and the beginning of the feast. And so you will see us uh, in most uh, Catholic churches uh, will be wearing rose. 
there is an option to continue in, in Violet this weekend, but uh, I believe uh, at the churches I serve, we, we plan on wearing our, our beautiful rose vestments. And we invite you also to join us in that, in that joyous uh, feeling of knowing that we're, we're halfway through the, the, our time in the desert, halfway through our fasting and, and our, in, our deep, uh, intense prayer and, and waiting to, uh, to greet Christ on his resurrection on Easter Sunday. I serve a couple parishes here in the Bloomington Normal area, but uh, join with my brother deacons throughout the, uh, the entire diocese and welcome you to uh, our upcoming Easter season. And we hope that you uh, return back to your local parish in person to enjoy the beauty and the joy and the comfort of the Holy Mass of the Catholic Church. And this weekend will be, as we move closer and closer to Easter uh, through this Lenten season, we have, as always, beautiful readings. Uh, all three of our readings uh, this weekend tie in together with, uh, with sort of a, a, a two themes that they're going to talk about. And I'll cover that in my, in my message after we read the gospel. But we're going to jump right in on our, uh, our first two readings. Our first reading is, is from um, the Old Testament, of course, from the, uh, from the book of Joshua. And uh, great message. Listen to this, and you'll see how this ties in with uh, our second reading as well as our gospel. So a reading from the book of Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have removed the reproach of Egypt from you. While the Israelites were encamped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th of the month. On the day after Passover, they ate of the produce of the land in the form of unleavened cakes and parched grain. On that same day after Passover, on which they ate of the produce of the land, the manna ceased. No longer was there manna for the Israelites, who that year ate of the yield of the land of Canaan. So what we see happening here in this, in this quick reading, uh, once again, a feast, where it's so often we, we talk about uh, food in, in, the, uh, in the scripture, which explains my physique so, so well. But uh, what, what's happened here is after, after wandering through the desert for 40 years, in, in their own journey of Lent, their own time of purification, the Israelites have now finally entered the, uh, the land of, of the promised land that, that God told Abraham about so many years before. And as they enter, the manna, the, the, this food that would form on the ground like, like early morning frost that, that was actually edible— that God gave them to sustain them on their journey, that has now ended because now they're in a land where they can sustain themselves uh, through their own effort. Uh, but it's, I shouldn't say through their own effort, through the grace of God who led them to this land that in the middle of, of all this desert that they've been wandering through is now able to sustain them with, through, their, through their work and through the, the, the bounty of the land that they're in. So now they're able to make their own unleavened cakes, communion. They're, they're sharing communion, and I, I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. So it just shows that God cares for them the whole way. Whether in the desert or in their bounty, uh, God is still caring for his people. Our responsorial psalm picks up on this theme of, of uh, food, uh, that, that, that 
feeds us that's not only physical food, but also spiritual food. In our responsorial psalm, I'll just give you what the, the refrain is, is taste and see the goodness of the Lord. So again, God's bounty comes to us through all of our senses, uh, not just through one. And so through our food, we have, we have a texture, we have touch, we have taste, we have smell, we have the, the sight, the beauty of the meal laid before us. So we experience God through our senses. Our second reading is uh, Paul to the Corinthians. This is from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. And, and Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And all this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, God has, is, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting our trespasses against us and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ, as if God were appealing through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who did not know sin, so that we might become the righteous of God in him. So, like our first reading, uh, the old has passed away, something new is happening. The manna has stopped in, in the book of Joshua, and now with, with Paul, he's telling people, your old life is behind you now. You are made new in your faith in Christ. And Christ is, it was made this possible, God made this possible through Christ his Son. By having Christ become sin on the cross for our sins, we are now righteous before God through Christ, not through our own effort, but through our faith in Christ. In our gospel is from the book of Luke. And again, this is a parable that you have heard probably several times in your life. This is the, the story of the prodigal son. This is how the story comes about. Uh, gospel tells us that tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus. But the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them, Jesus addressed this parable. A man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens, who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat, of his, to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat? But here I am dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, the father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. 
His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, quickly bring the finest robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fatted calf and slaughter it, and let us celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field, and on his way back as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. And the servant said to him, Your brother has returned, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf, because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry, and when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, you swallowed up, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughter the fatted calf. He said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come back to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So I love the words of the psalmist, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Have you noticed how often in Scripture we find ourselves at a meal or a wedding reception or a feast of some kind? We sometimes have a scene laid out before our eyes like in the gospel today. We can see the guests, the layout of the room, maybe even smell and taste the food. We hear the noise of the guests gathering and we hear the words of the various participants speaking to us. In other readings, we we feel the heat of the desert or the wind and spray of a storm on the sea. We feel the pitch and the roll of a fishing boat. Scripture is written to purposely involve our human senses. Touch, sight, sounds, taste, smells are all part of, of being able to immerse ourselves in the experience of God's creation through our human senses. It's meant to draw us into a closer experience with God through the Word of God. Our readings today appeal to our senses. The Israelites, settling in the promised land of milk and honey, no longer need manna from heaven. They can now taste the flavor of their own crops. Then in our responsorial psalm, we let the praise of God rest like a rich flavor in our mouths. In the gospel parable, Jesus tells of a father that welcomes a son home, touching him with mercy setting a feast before him, a feast filled with aroma and flavor, dancing and music for all to hear. Right this moment, in our church, we celebrate Christ with all our senses. The beautiful stained glass windows, the great architecture, the music, the smell of candles and incense, the hearing of the Word of God are all meant to help us employ all of our senses so to draw us near to the beauty and the mystery of God in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Once again, Christ calls us to an intimate meal where we see and taste the elements of bread and wine, but we consume the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ our Lord. So as we immerse ourselves into the Mass, let's also try to immerse ourselves into the Gospel reading. 
Let's imagine ourselves in the roles of these characters, a younger son who selfishly wants to gain his share of his father's estate before he has earned it. An older son who has worked diligently his whole life, who has stayed true to his commitment to his father and his faith. Or imagine ourselves as the father who might feel saddened and betrayed by one son, but beholden to the other, yet he remains faithful to both. Tradition calls this story the story of the prodigal son, but I think it should be called the story of two prodigal sons. I'm sure most of us have heard this parable before, some of us many times. I remember the first few times I heard it, I understood the story, but I didn't understand the word prodigal. So based on the story, I thought it meant lost, or returning home, or or repentant. It wasn't until I was a little older and my vocabulary started to grow that I started to look up definitions in a dictionary to find out what the words I'd been using actually meant. Boy, was I surprised. Prodigal means outrageously wasteful, lavishly wasteful, extravagantly wasteful. Mrs. Farber, my fourth grade teacher, would be so proud of me right now for remembering that. That's certainly true of the younger son. He wasted his entire inheritance on things that had no lasting value that brought him no joy, that left his spirit as empty as his stomach. He wasted time separated from the love and protection of his father, his home, and family. He wasted time wallowing in his regret and his misery, and he wasted an inheritance that his father had hoped to give him at the appointed time. The younger brother is, of course, those people who have squandered their life in sin, who walked away from a loving God and who have found or are bound to find only emptiness in this world and the world to come. But what about the older brother? Let's consider him for a moment. He is as wasteful as well. He wastes his energy on jealousy and anger, on resentment toward his father and the celebration his father gives for his brother's return. Both sons are prodigal, wasteful in ways that can damage their bond of love with their father and between each other and to their own sense of self. We know people like that, don't we? I have to say, I've met people like that, good people, people who have been faithful to God for a long time, but who cringe when they think that God would or could forgive someone who has committed horrible sins in their lives. Take a moment and think of the most awful person you can think of in history. Now think of the fact that If they, at the very last instant of their life, made a contrite confession and turned to Christ for forgiveness, they would receive the same reward as someone who was faithful to God their entire lives. I know people who find that very difficult to accept. Just as the older son was angered by his father's welcoming for his younger brother. But shouldn't he want his brother to come home? Shouldn't he want what was best for his brother? Scripture tells us that we are all God's creation. We are all brothers and sisters to one another. And so shouldn't we want what is best for each other? And what is better than welcoming our brother or sister home, no matter how great the sins of their past might be? Now that is very hard, perhaps impossible for us to do in our human brokenness. But for God, it's not impossible. If the sons in our story are prodigal, lavishly wasteful, 
and they have a father who is prodigiously magnanimous. Mrs. Farber is smiling in heaven as she hears me say those words. Prodigiously magnanimous, overflowing in love, hugely generous, lavishly forgiving. The father in our story sees the younger son from a long distance away. He sees him because despite the pain that this boy has caused him, the father has been watching and waiting for him for the moment, from the moment he left. And once he sees him, he runs to his son to embrace him even before he reaches his home. So great is the father's desire to see his son return. And that is the nature of God, our Heavenly Father, who loves us so much when we are sinners as well as when we're holy, who waits patiently for us to return to his love when we are unfaithful to him in our sin. God waits to welcome us home, to embrace us and call us his child the very moment we are in in our own humility, repentant, and we re- choose to return home to him. Jesus was telling the Pharisees that the sinners and outcasts who crowded around him and listened to his words were the younger son making their way home to their father, but that the Pharisees were behaving in the role of both the older and the younger sons. They were like the younger one when, they, when he first left, who squandered the inheritance that his father had given him but they were like the older brother in their conceit, since they saw themselves as close to God by their adherence to their laws and so deserved special attention. They were extravagantly wasteful in their jealousy and their anger and their egotism. This story of the prodigal son is as relevant for us today as it was 2,000 years ago. But Jesus is speaking us today not to the Pharisees, He's speaking to us. Jesus is telling us to be like the younger son in his repentance and humility, to be like the older son in his obedience and his steadfast faith. And he's telling us to be like the father, both the father in the story and our father in heaven. We are to be generous in our love for our brothers and sisters in this world, to be extravagant in our forgiveness when someone hurts us or angers us, to want only what is best for one another, and to celebrate those who return from sin just as Christ rejoices when we return to him in the sacrament of confession. And we should experience each Mass as if it were the feast thrown by the Father to welcome his Son home. We should use all of our senses to immerse ourselves in the joy and the beauty, the sights, the smells, the tastes of this holy celebration. As we prepare ourselves to join our Lord at the table of the altar for a meal that he has prepared especially for us out of his abundant love. And may it give you strength as you continue through the second half of your Lenten journey. I thank you so much for being with us here on Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio. We invite you to join us with your questions as you write us at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.org. And I wish that God fills you with his blessings and his grace as you continue on on your Lenten journey. Thank you again, and we'll talk with you next week. May God bless you, protect you from all evil, and bring you to everlasting life. 
Amen. You've been listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in your life. Submit your questions to Deacon Al at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. That's goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. Deacon will answer your questions about faith and religion. Thank you for listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio.